0: Is it a special edition?
1: Well, I don't have a special edition, but it is a... uh, We felt compelled, given the response to our last podcast, which uh, we've been really great response. Thank you for all who are downloading and listening, that it merited a follow-up.
0: But before we say that, I want to thank some people. Some new sponsors responded to my Patreon post on Facebook, several places in our podcast pages, on my personal page. So we've got Peter Steigerwald to thank. And Judith Jones and Lea Paulos. Lea Paulos, who's a friend who is a publicist and gets me lots of guests actually. That's great. Yeah, so I will also thank you all and give and take some interviews coming up this week. I haven't done anything since like last no interview since like last Thursday. But I have booked a guest who wrote a book about dentistry, which is, as you know, something I love. she wrote this great book about she's a she's a national health journalist. And writes for the Washington Post and wrote a book about how dentistry got separated from the rest of healthcare and the history of that and why it's problematic.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's funny to me. I guess everybody has their kryptonite. Your obsession with dentistry. Is, I love dentistry. I think
0: it's the greatest. I think it's and, such and a folks, great. And folks, I just field.
1: want you to know that actually he talked to me about dentistry for 20 minutes the other night. On yeah, the phone. It's so
0: great. I think it's so great. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, fortunately, I was able to be doing other things while that was going on. I love Dennis Yeah.
0: So, but on from Dennis thank you too. oh, and also Reynolds Shook. Also, I forgot, almost forgot. Uh, Reynolds Shook, I just heard from her. She's this. always so, very generous to us. Always generous. So for, so we have to thank, again, Peter Stegerwald, Judith Jones, Leia Paulos, and Reynolds Shook. Thank you all for stepping up and becoming partners, contributors. Maybe, like, we got to come up with some level of contribution. Where we'll put your picture in the bunker. <laughs> Like you send us a, a you know a nice glossy, and we'll frame oh it my gosh and hang yeah. like an icon
1: we could have a yellow brick road that led that leads down to here exactly With everybody's name on it Bart had a oh on the
0: spiral staircase, I think that ascended to his staircase, I think he had- p- por- portraits of theologians in ascendance, ascendants like of their importance wow, very so, nice, very nice, so there you go,
1: yeah. I don't. I have pictures of my kids on the wall, but they're all even. <laughs> sure they are. Sure they are. Yeah.
0: So yeah, let, we talked a little bit about truth and heresy, and can you know the difference?
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting, and and uh, you and I commented uh, off recording that uh, it's easy. Well, I, at least we find it easy to uh, to. Uh, poke holes in those who are trying to create different walls for heresy and, and error, as well as sometimes those who don't seem to care one way or the other. But uh, let me do a thought experiment with you, Scott. So
0: uh, I'm usually the one that does. I know. I know. Yeah.
1: We're on the ver- you know the, the new thirty year war is about to break out. Uh, the neo Calvinists are getting all uh, gunned up, and uh, the Anabaptists are. Uh, getting their flowers to put into the barrels of the guns, and uh, the angry Catholics are ready to storm the barrel. Do you Vatican. think Fitch
0: would take like flowers and string them on a hockey stick and put the hockey
1: stick? He might be st- like a he'd stick a flower. The pacifist part of him would stick the flower in the barrel, but then the other part of him, his true self, would hit the guy with the stick, would high check him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I respect the high checking not... part of him, but anyway. And, you know, the angry hordes are heading towards the Vatican to deal with this uh, incredibly Christian guy named Francis. And, uh, and we get a phone call and they say, Scott and Bill, we would like you to help come up with a solution. What constitutes the boundaries of the faith in, in the, you know, the 21st century? Where would you begin to tackle this problem?
0: I'll tell you what would definitely be in for me. Smoke machines. I have no problem with those.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, here's a funny story. I I once had a staff person who uh, was telling me about he was working at a virgin church and they used a smoke screen or a smoke machine for their communion service. And I said, well, what was the significance of that? And he just paused and goes, "I don't know. Look cool. Should it be a significance? Yeah.
0: Well, I look cool. That's the significant. Looking cool is fun. I don't mind looking. cool. I like smoke machines. I, no, think, I think they're ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't use one, but I think the church cra-
1: they're ridiculous. I, and they're kind of you know. Here's a, another friend of mine was looking for a church, and they had a smoke machine at this church, and uh. My friend goes, I like the church, but I, you know I, I'm having this allergic reaction, and and he said, well, we're going to be in a new building soon, and he goes, you're going to have the smoke machine, and he goes, well, yeah, <laughs>
0: so he goes. So that doesn't
1: help me with my problem. Well, that
0: could happen in a Catholic church with incense. People can deluge yeah, all kinds true. of it things. Could be. Yeah. It could be. You're a high,
1: high church Anglican. I used to yeah. go to a high church Anglican that you got the bells and smells every week. So there you go.
0: I mean, I, I've never. All right, so. I, I probably wouldn't ever install one or anything. But I just think I, I don't hate them. I, I really don't. I don't know why I don't hate them.
1: Well, I mean, it, it seems to be a waste of hate to hate those. If you're going to hate something, that would not be on the top ten list. I think it's one of the silliest things that people do. But it's
0: like, hey, there's so many great. Like eighties videos and bands and stuff, but i have to admit, I have such a positive association of of great videos you like you like it's hair like, rock hair rock, yeah, yeah,
1: no yeah have you heard that uh the well the yacht rock is a little bit before hair rock, but the yacht rock guys do a podcast they're hilarious,
0: oh yeah, yacht rock
1: yacht rock, but anyway, well, you know that's um. That's great, so anyway, so the smoke machine's in, but uh how would we i mean how do we do something constructive? It's easy to be critical or to be prophetic or try to create a middle ground, but uh which sometimes we do in the same sentence, <laughs> which I wouldn't want to parse our sentences. But uh, how do, how do you approach? How how can you do some constructive things? Because it it seems like a lot of the, the uh, tit for tat is just kind of silly. But there are some. I mean, part of this is a function of a real problem in in the in. The world we live in right now in terms of what constitutes the boundaries. You and I were talking beforehand, you know, theological education's in trouble, so you're not, we're not going to be getting more educated uh, church leaders in the future. So uh, I think this idea of what constitutes the rule of faith or what constitutes the essence of the faith is not an empty question.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if we had less theological education it could mean more smoke machines <laughs> <laughs> i look, think it's guaranteed let's look, let's look on the bright side. more
1: smoke screens and more uh fireworks uh celebrating liberty sunday exactly
0: <laughs> liberty sunday
1: oh my goodness that's crazy. where the spirit of
0: the lord is there is liberty oh my goodness <laughs> you know it's funny jerry you see these teams Use jerry big guys jerry <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, man. I was at a Sixer game back when they made the playoffs. So that was like, I think the dinosaurs had just died. It seems so long ago. And it was funny they had to delay the opening of the game because of the opening pyrotechnics. I was wondering how things worked in that church down Dallas where they did the fireworks indoors. It always seems to be a bad idea, fireworks
0: indoors. I think fireworks are so boring because once you've seen them, you've seen them. Like when Mickey Mouse's face can go or like Zorro or Madonna's face like, singing, actually. then It's cool, but yeah. it's like fireworks, like, it, it, the technology's just not evolved enough for me. Like, uh, I, I see one good fireworks show, you've seen them all.
1: I think they're fine. A matter of fact, you know, coming up on 4th of July, I'll go see them, and I think I'm, I'm going to go see the Philadelphia Orchestra. But what, what
0: you will see, though, is a rendition of what you've always seen. You, right. Like, there's no new... I, it's just, I'm I'm over fireworks. I'm not over smoke machines. yet. You know what? I I don't. I'm over fireworks. I have
1: no need to put pineapple and ham on top of a pizza. I don't, I'm Neither happy do I. with pizza. I'm happy. I, I don't Neither mind do eating pizza. So anyway, we'll agree. To but I do think about that.
0: The great thing. Uh, back to uh, Liberty. I, well, like, I love like, I remember the first time Trump spoke at Liberty. He was like, I mean, had Jerry Jr. stayed in real estate, Trump might have been number two in real right. estate. I want to start referring to myself in the third person, Trump. I mean, these stories about Trump and Russia, like, that's so great. Like, I think
1: you should just go to the letter. Which, I don't know. You would have so, to go S or G. He goes, he goes last name. So you could be, or S or J, just, I'm sorry. Jones is tell, yeah, I don't know. I just like that. Right, the J. Very, it feels very important. Right.
0: So yeah, what are the, how do we start? I don't. So it's interesting, you know, I was thinking today a little bit about the nature of commentary on social media. And what if, you you know, T.S. Eliot said that he always preferred a thick description to explanation because explanations uh, automatically sort of, presumed kind of framework that shuts down the conversation yeah, by solving the problem. Right. Whereas description, You know, if I say, describe this statue from, the, from this angle, and then ask someone else to describe it from that angle, those things aren't mutually exclusive. So let's say you see a, rather than thinking of something as heretical, awful, the worst, whatever, I mean, you could, we could think of all sort of deleterious adjectives. If you thought, that, that's a thin description, of what I think of is true. And so... So you begin by changing language. Well, and also then, yeah, well, think about, yeah, sometimes changing language is, can be quite helpful because it can shift. I mean, it, it's very interesting how, how words change our thought patterns. And also I think, well, instead of like decrying it, what if I just offered a thicker description of something? Like what if I po- offered something positive and constructive that I thought offered a thicker, more robust description of that, which what I... which I think is true, rather than just say that's wrong. That person is a moron. This is idiotic. This is how could that person think that? Also, ask yourself too. Like I think TSL says, you know that no theory, every theory is true from a certain perspective. Otherwise, it would have never been thought up. It, because it, at that moment where that person was standing, that generated the theory it explained reality. For them. Yeah. Now, now,
1: it may not be only for them, f- only for them. You right. know,
0: that's why he says jo- tongue in cheek. Like that's why schizophrenia isn't so much a disease, but a uh, philosophical position. And he's tongue in cheek making that same. If sometimes theories that are elaborate only work for one person, right. but for that person, if you're in their head, it would work. And so for the first thing, like what, what would it be? What would it take for me to think, to, where would I have to sit for that theory to be true? Hmm. And what, what would be true about me, and then also what have I learned about the human condition? Why certain theories? Because if we're, I would assume that if we're commenting on them in social media and this sort of thing, that a number of people find rich explanatory power in something that others might find false, offensive, social. You know, so so yeah, and maybe start with thinking what's thin about this. But first, why does it seem thick to this person? Why does it have explanatory comfort power? Why is it compelling? And then if I still find it very wanting, how can I offer a thicker description that could come alongside and fill out what I think is real and good and true and beautiful?
1: What about authority? What constitutes authority in 2017 when it comes to, to theological formation? I mean, it might still be the fact that it depends on what community you're part of. I mean, there's still, I mean, obviously the Roman Catholic view of authority is still fairly much intact. It still has its same, you know, understanding of what the church's role in and the keys of the kingdom. Um, you know, it, it seems to me one of the challenges is there's, a, there's a unique challenges in both confessional and non-confessional traditions. I mean, the non-confessional tradition has the problem, it always has, in terms of it, it, there's no set, you know, each congregation um, has to create its own kind of center. There might be, you know, I think like, for instance, the Baptist communion, there might be identifying things to carry, you, keep you together, namely, um, you know, uh, non-infant baptism. Um, But in your non-confessional heritages, um, and again, there are many... Non-confessional heritages that are implicitly confessional. I grew up in one where we never said the creed, but we we adhered to it. You know, it was assumed. Uh but I think that's – so there's a sense there where that's always a problem where to draw the circle you know, in some levels because every religion or every sect needs to determine its, what's the nature of its authority, how what's its relationship with the tradition, and then who's in the community. I mean those are kind of the three things that by definition every sect has to decide. And I think some of the tensions um, – that exist in um, Protestant Christianity, but maybe, obviously, in some, according to our last podcast, within Catholicism as well, are are really around those issues. What what's what? Who's in and who's out, and what is our relationship to the ongoing tradition?
0: Well, I think like just uh, the reality on the ground. We could say if the yeah you know, if if this is metaphysically true or something, but. The reality on the ground is everybody, every authority in modern liberal society in the West, at least religiously speaking, is persuasive authority because you could be part of the most uptight, hyper-confessional Tradition. This here's this 17th century document or something, and you know you can't uh, sway from this. Or you're not just out of this community. You're going to burn in the eternal flame, and we'll be able to watch and rejoice you as we are saints dancing in glory. Whatever you can say, that person. Well, could, be, there's no dancing in glory, <laughs> Kevin. Not until Kevin Bacon gets there. So, like, I don't think there are any movies there. I'm just yeah. kidding. So, so that, that person can still just get up. If if you can if they can convince themselves well what the heck do you I'm go to the church with a smoke machine <laughs> and so like you know it's different when you have compulsory power of the state or something like that right so, well
1: and, and and I think that was what got uh, Pope Benedict in trouble but his whole argument was that Christianity. At heart, has always its only power has been should have been persuasive. It should never have had the forcing power. That was that whole debate with the uh, and it has at times. But he would he with Jurgen Habermas, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I think there's a sense where Christian. I, I think we could agree with the idea that that's um, you're you're not. Uh, you're not born a Christian, uh, in in the, in the same way that you are born a Muslim or a Jew or, for that matter, a Hindu. So there's a sense where, at the heart, at least from the beginning, well, or if
0: you're a Muslim in America, you're not really born anything. Like in the Western liberal society, and Judaism is a little different because it's an ethnicity and a, right. it, Judaism is the last, it, it, I think, is the only form of pre-modern religious way of being that in modern liberal society is preserved. I mean, we it, right. it, it is different by nature which is a different kind of reality. But I think in general, I, that's part of, and this is something that, you know, of course, to people like Stanley Harawas and Alistair McIntyre and probably our friend and comrade, Dave Fitch, this is part of the big problem of the modern story. I don't find it quite as problematic, but, you know, we can agree to disagree on such matters. But, right. But I think that's, you know, yeah. So there, So first of the persuasive thing is always, that's why we have new persuasive Words. We're just we're ahead of the curve, dropping <laughs> dope knowledge. No, but I've, so they. So I think that is certainly true. And I think. And then I you know, I was thinking, whenever we're too agitated about these questions, mm-hmm. there something is off kilter. I was reading something earlier today from Frank Lake. I hope I don't tear my bicep lifting this one hand, but. Uh, so here he's talking about what he calls schizoid disorder, which is somebody that's really split off from themselves, almost like a severe form of PTSD or something in early childhood. And he's talking before there's a breakdown, when like before they kind of shut down, before there's a break and, and some real tragic realities happen, he talks about uh, their desire they can get very religious. He says it, it looks like unusually eager perseverance in the truth. It is actually a, pathet- a pathetic perseveration it is like the determination of a bargo to take his boat down a certain familiar canal refusing to negotiate that the water has been drained of it these pre-morbid bursts have none of the characteristic marks of the holy spirit's activity enhanced freedom of the human spirit psychological space which is a synonym up to a point for salvation that which sets one's feet in a large room a sense of loving and being loved, a joy because of a creative response to the inescapable sadness of living, of peace of mind or equanimity or patience, gentleness, meekness, and the like. No, the bursts of religious activity, which are, in fact, a regressive psychological compulsion, unconsciously designed to ward off breakdown, have nothing about them, which is of God, the Holy Spirit. So summarize that. In
1: other words, for some people who get particularly, I mean, from Frank Leg's perspective, uh, this is, you know, some of these most intense discussions are not theological or ideological, they're psychological.
0: And they're not signs of psychological health. Right, but uh, you know, if we were making the analogy, there's some sort of science, psychological or spiritual. Uh, uh, try, there's, there's, if there's, uh, what, what is um Paul's all saying in one podcast that breakdowns happen when the, it's like a bridge where the pressure, oh, uh, the fissure, fissure, fissure the, yeah. the fissure and the pre- there's an internal fissure like and what an what external happens, pressure what happens with earthquakes, right? Yeah, and so maybe some of this like energetic zeal for boundary making and marking and saying who's in and who's out all the time. And and this person, you know, is in danger to Western civilization and all that is good and holy. Some of that, I think is probably not (laughs) from a place of real centeredness and and peace, you know, that perfect love drives out fear. So a lot of the spirit of that sort of stuff is just, you know, not great.
1: Yeah. I, I I can't remember exact quote in GK Chesterton's, um, orthodoxy. But he talks about, I think he's talking about modernist liberals from in his perspective. It um, uh, would be a different definition for us now. But uh, one of the marks is they'd have no sense of humor. Yeah, uh, and and part of the, uh, you have to kind of be able to, well, I think that to not have a sense of humor means you don't know what's important. And everything, everything, everything is, everything, you know, it's a similar, everything is weighty. Everything is equally important. And in taking your own, in taking your position so seriously, it's, there's a great danger that you're taking yourself too seriously as well. Um, you know, one of the things I think for me, and we, I can't remember, when we talking about this uh, in a podcast or just together, but being able to kind of hold the whole Bible. Okay. If
0: for $50, what if for $50 a month, we'll just let people like listen to all of our phone calls?
1: <laughs> what was that movie where they constantly, uh, you were on, you were on uh, camera the whole time?
0: We could, that's so easy because I already have a recorder on this, set up on this. We could just set up a recorder on our phones and we could just make like Nixon tapes. That that would seem to be $75 a month. That is terrifying. Anyway. I love uh, it. Oh, my
1: goodness. Okay.
0: Because we probably wouldn't be any less absurd, even if we knew there was no, we're 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 just as absurd here. What what
1: would change? Not much. Not much. But I do think the sense of holding, um, uh, having a greater perspective, if you can look at the whole Bible and it's none of us do that. We all have our canons within the canon. I can look at three of them. (laughs) They're right over
0: there. (laughs) I can Look at the whole thing. I can look at the whole thing and I'll shelf them over here.
1: But one of the things that's really been helpful with my study with with um, Jewish scholars is that how they they don't have a problem with allowing you know God to keep busting out of the pages. In other words, there's not there, there's not this uh, holy history that that has a kind of a firm script. And and I actually think that if to fully engage that story um, is is one that allows us to kind of see kind of a more whimsical view of God. And it's not always a secure. I mean, in other words, it's, there's, it's hard to contain um, in a comfortable way all of it's um, in the Scriptures. I mean, I don't know if those of you who preached the lectionary text last week, uh, you know, there's there's some rough stuff in those, uh, those confessions of Jeremiah. And, and the, uh, Jesus is talking about, I've not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. Uh, we we tend to ignore those passages, and uh, but I think that's part of the story, and I think that's a very healthy thing. And so, you know, uh, you and I we talked about this after the help um, discussion
0: we did with uh, with um, Jason Michelle Jason, Jason. Don't, J Bill's getting up there in years. Jason, don't be offended that he didn't. No, know I did. Him. I trolled him the other yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> He liked that podcast, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Good. The by the way,
1: my son Jason just for you. My, Jason was talking about he held a goat uh, as part of an illustration for a sermon on Yom Kippur. I told my my son that, and he thought it was hilarious. He said it only would have worked if you'd have butchered the goat at the end. <laughs> Don't give Michelle ideas. No, see, I will totally retract that. If you if you next time you hold a goat, you butchered at the end. I am a hundred percent in that. in with you on that one. But in the discussion of hell, for instance, one of the things we did talk about it. Was that it's it's not a developed doctrine in in the New Testament. Um, matter of fact, Paul's kind of talking about what seems to to point towards um, you know soul annihilation. Um, the Jesus is talking about hell. What's going on in Revelation? Um, there's there's not a there's not a unified teaching in the New Testament about that, probably because there wasn't, you know, it was not a developed idea in the first century among apocalyptic Jews and then uh, those who became followers of Christ. So um, that, to me, helps us. If we stop, if we take a step back and, and realize that, um, you know, you said the other day, the church fathers should be called the church babies. You were quoting uh, Lightheart, you were quoting?
0: James Jordan. James Jordan. Lightheart's mentor.
1: Millionful mentor. I think there's something about sometimes wherever we draw the line. I mean, it's okay to say Luther. I had a professor who said Luther was a heretic, but he was a brilliant heretic. You know, I just, love <laughs> your impression. Is that Freule-
0: <laughs> Who was that? Freulich?
1: No, that wasn't Freulich. That was uh, an Englishman. That was my English. That was my German. But um, Calvin had all of his issues. Augustine has issues. But these are wonderful, brilliant people who have. Um, Taught and laid a foundation that we can continue to grow from. But I think, you know, going back to my three criteria, it's not mine, it's it's a sociology of religion. If, for instance, we begin the discussion by assuming that we're all in the community, in other words, if we begin these conversations, well, first of all, we're all part of this circle, okay? It, it may be one big dysfunctional family that has trouble agreeing and who can't even sit down to table together, literally the Lord's table together. Uh, but nonetheless, we are all in. Um, that might be a that might be a beginning point. Uh, I, I remember someone back years ago, one of the many times Tony Campolo was <laughs> accused of being a heretic, and it was funny. They had little meetings. These evangelical popes got together and decided to have a meeting whether or not Tony Campolo was uh, was wrong or not. And he, you know, I guess, of course he was wrong, but he was wonderfully wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But the one thing he said, uh, I heard him talk after that. And he goes, you know, we should begin by saying the only label that matters is one you give yourself. And if someone is willing to say, I'm a Christian— um, and that has some sort of connection to what's gone before them in some way, then I think we should begin by giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's not to be wishy-washy, but that's, that should be the starting point.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting referencing our last podcast. This morning I was listening to Rob Bell's podcast, and he did a podcast called a Sheep, Coins, and Sons. And he was reflecting a little bit on Luke fifteen. The funny thing he brought up too that was interesting. You know, when people are giving Jesus a hard time for hanging out with those who are unseemly sinners and sinners, he was pointing out was a very political term. Not you know, these are the people that are keeping us under occupation. You know, if 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 you know, there's a kind of blame game that you know, a certain sect of of first century Pharisees are like, hey, you know, these are if we if if there was a sort of if you were more righteous, if we were more righteous, then. God would answer our prayers and deliver us from uh, occupation. There's a kind of whole, you know, social sociological re- reality around that. And he was saying that, you know, shepherds, right, were part of the unclean class, right? right. So, so he says, when he says, which one of you, w- w- if you're your sheep, he's like, which one of you, Uh, pimps if one of your prostitutes wandered off wouldn't go and leave the 99 it's like saying that already on the front end is sort of a subtle ironic kind of opening but he's saying that there's something interesting that the sheep fundamentally belongs to the shepherd the coin fundamentally belongs to the woman the sons fundamentally belong to the to the father. father yeah and you have two sons one is is separated from the Father, on his own perception anyway, because of his misdeeds. The other is separated from the Father and doesn't seem to recognize it because of his good deeds, in the sense of he he kind of thinks that they're in a transactional system. Okay, well, you did this thing, and right. so you're further off now, two points down. I'm three points up. And Rob said that his favorite, uh, line, I didn't notice, he said his favorite passage in Scripture is... Luke fifteen, thirty one, when the father goes to the elder son who won't celebrate the son's return, and he says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And you know, the, the, the younger the younger son, when he goes back to and thinks I've got. To, I'm going to have to atone. All this. As soon as he comes back, the father embraced him. He doesn't have to do anything. He still belongs. And the father, the older son, who is equally sort of disrespectful. I mean, this you you would never like not go to a party that the patriarch threw. You just wouldn't right. do that. And so he humbly goes to the son and says, "You're you are right now in your refusal." Your son's like, "Why didn't you do all this?" So son, you're always with like, everything I have is yours. And so I think that, and it was really beautiful some of his reflections. But I think on some level, right, like. First off, if we really believe that about ourselves, would we be so uh, tyrannized by the fact that somebody else who also belongs is saying some things that, you know, it's not our cup of tea. We think it's a little bit of a thin description. You know, like there's something about that, that like that mantra that, hey, you know, that when we are down and out, we're anxious, when we're struggling, when we feel like our backs are against the wall and and faith is hard and love is hard and hope is hard, that, that the word is the word to both sons, to all the children, that I'm with you always and that all that I have is yours. And so we can live in light of that, hopefully on our decent days with grace and gratitude. Yeah,
1: that you know, it's interesting that you quote that from Rob Bell because, you know, a recent chapter we talked about from uh, Halleck, that parable was the center of it too. And he was talking about that uh, the relationship between secular humanism and Christianity. yeah, And that it may end up that, you know, using the prodigal son, that it, it may turn out that the, you know, that's the the way we want to see that. Ultimately, are the two sons of the father, uh, and after that, I was thinking about the same thing in terms of with however whoever's your other in Christianity. So if it's liberal, conservative, you know, Calvinist, Neo Anabaptist, traditional Catholic, progressive Catholic, whatever, whoever your other is, then you're probably you're in the position of the older brother. Yeah. In other words, you you you're in you're in a danger there of by um, seeing yourself. Over against your brother or sister, you have put yourself dangerously close to ignoring what the father is really up to. And I think that's an interesting—I think that's a way of looking at um, a lot of these really sectarian divisions that never even even touch upon the very— the foundation of the faith is usually not in jeopardy in any of these talks. In other words, these arguments that we have with each other tend not to be around the loving and saving work of God in Christ. Now, sometimes they are. But I still think, and that's a different, to me, that becomes a different kind of thing when you start chipping away at the very foundation of the faith. But at the same time, that doesn't, I'm not saying that if you have a particular view of how that works, for instance, people who draw the line with substitutionary atonement, you know, and you have to throw out whole parts of the Bible to do that, and you have to make some gymnastics. Now, again, it's a helpful look. I'm not not saying it isn't a very helpful approach to Mount Calvary, but I've often thought that The way we should look at theories of the atonement is – there are a lot of different ways to go up the mountain to the cross. And each, each angle would have a different, you would, could see a different thing about the cross. But no particular position can look at the whole thing in totality. Um, that's part of why it's the holiest of all mysteries. Uh, and that even the Eucharist is a reminder, not only of the mystery of God's grace, but the mystery of God's sacrifice. Uh, so, I think mystery should always bring us some humility. Uh, the fact that we are all children of God should bring us a certain kind of forbearance to each other. Um, and I think, again, it's funny. The one, there, there aren't a lot of things that Jesus is crystal clear about. And it seems to me the ones he's crystal clear about, we frequently ignore. This whole danger of judging each other, he's pretty clear about that. And, um, I, you know, we all do it, you know, heaven knows I certainly have a propensity to do it. But when I start going down that path, I need to identify with the character of it that I'm most like. And that older brother is, is not who we want to be.
0: Yeah. And the truth is not a zero sum game. Like, like, like somebody else having, you can't, you know, peace, love, joy, patience, these things, you know, you can't divide the infinite. Right, and so it, 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 if somebody, it's not a zero sum game. Like if it's not, if somebody else is clearly exhibiting, if somebody else is, is is part of the fold, and 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 you know, your descriptions seem really at odds at some points. It's it's not a zero sum game. You can't. God yeah. God is infinite and simple. Yeah, so you like, can't. You can't <laughs> divide. It's the beauty of the infinite. It's like what you said. Yeah, the beauty
1: of the infinite. It's like what you said last time. It's you no. Know, it's we're like Peter. What about that guy? What about that guy? And Jesus kind of says, "Take care of yourself."
0: Yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: Throwing stones and casting blame A little love will go a long way To many points famous for my taste Practice. Would you preach? Break the habit of hypocrisy Get back to doing faith, faith, practice Would you preach? You have been the same You used to saving. Save me saving. It's a hell of a Even the same, even the same, even the same, even the same, oh, even the same, even the same, even the same, even the same We gotta get together, gotta get together, even the same